0: So we're at 1 Kings chapter 20. See how I, I talked for a while, so y'all have time to find 1 Kings. <laughs> See, there's a, me, there's a method to my madness. So 1 Kings chapter 20, we'll be there at verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 20, we'll be there at verse 1. Let me grab my water. I don't know what's in the air, but my allergies are killing me. Just destroying me. So I, appreciate, I apologize for having to wipe my nose and blow my nose and everything. Just, my allergies are out to get me. And you're saying, why don't you go to a shot? No, go get a shot. Doctors are for people like Shirley, not for me. <laughs> now I know I said, no, I'm joking. Now we, we, y'all be praying. Y'all be praying one for another. First Kings chapter 20, verse 1. In Behenadad, the king of Syria. Now that's a bad king. That's a Gentile king. That's a heathen king. He gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him. So he had all a bunch of other kings that went with him. And horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. Now, Samaria is where Israel's at. That's going to be King Ahab. That's the king over Israel. Verse 2, And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Benhadad, hadad Ahab, the king of Israel, was not a good king. In Israel, He was a wicked king. As a matter of fact, the Bible says later on in the, a couple of chapters later, it says Ahab was one of the worst kings that ever ruled over Israel. He was wicked. His wife was Jezebel, if that tells you enough right there. So this is not a good guy, but it's still God's people. Amen? It's still God's people, and he still represents God's people. And Behenadad is going to say in verse 3, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also, and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. So what Ahab is doing is he's making a peace agreement. And uh, back in the day, they would come in and say, Hey, everything you have is mine. And then the peace agreement, you say, Okay, everything I have is mine, is, is yours. And then that king would co- has conquered you. He'd go off and go back to his land. And then he would want you to send him so much gold or silver. But that was just a, what we would call a saying. It's just a peace agreement. And that was just a saying that he's saying, Well, he takes it a little bit further. Verse 5, And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Behanadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Oh, well, things change now. They're like, okay, I know I told you all that, Benadad says, but now I'm going to come in, and whatever they like, they're going to come get it. This is above and beyond what their agreement was. This is more than a peace treaty. This is him coming and robbing uh, Ahab. Well, look, here's verse 7. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief? For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children... And for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not, and all the elders and all the people said unto him, hearken not unto him, nor consent. So the old people, now listen to me young people in here, the old people had some really wise advice, don't listen to him. If you ever get into some problems in your life, there's, there's nothing wrong with going and asking old people. I know we seem stupid and moronic, we can't run Facebook or Twitter, we don't know what we're doing with the new age stuff, but... The older you get with the more gray in your beard, and the more gray in your hair, it, we, we've been around the block a time or two. And we can tell you, hey, you might not want to do that. There's a lot of advice I've gotten from older, my, the older generation, my uncle, even my mom, they told me stuff, and at that time I said, they're stupid, they don't know what they're talking about. Now that I've got a lot more gray in my hair, I, said, I wish I would have listened to them, I would have saved myself, number one, so much money, number two, so many tears and sorrows. And Ahab takes your advice. Verse 9, wherefore he said unto the messengers of Behenadad tell my lord the king, so that's respectful. He shows respect and he says, tell my lord the king, all that thou didst send for to thy servant at the first I will do, other words, I'll make a peace agreement with you, but this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. So Ahab tells hey, go back and tell him I'm not doing that. You know, we can have a peace agreement, but you're not just going to come in and just grab whatever you want out of my house. and everything. That's something different. Verse ten, and Behenadad said unto him, and, and sent uh, unto him, and said, the gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. He basically come, tells Behenadad sends a message, that says, I'm going to destroy you to the ground and wipe you out. That's what Behenadad tells Ahab. He gets mad about it. Behenadad, he says, you know what? And the gods, his gods that he worships. They, they should do it to me if I don't do it to you. That's, that's some strong words. But look at verse 11. I'm preaching this, this verse 11 this morning. Look at verse 11. Look what Ahab says. Good advice, guys, really good advice. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, now he's showing no respect. You don't call him the Lord, my Lord, or king. He says, You tell him, Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. <laughs> What he just said is, hey, don't be bragging about something you've done that you hadn't done yet. Don't be, don't be bragging about something you hadn't done it yet. Hey, I tell you what, don't be bragging like you just whipped me when you haven't started the fight yet. In <laughs> other words, Ahab is saying, hey, big boy, bring it on. That's what he's saying. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Father, that these words will come off the page, Lord God. Make it real to us, Lord. Help us to understand uh, our uh, boasting in Jesus Christ, Lord God. Help us, Father, through your Holy Spirit to. Glean wisdom, Lord God, from this mistakes that some of these men we read in this Bible make, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that a blessing on these people here this morning, Lord. I pray a hedge of protection around every heart. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would uh, bless us, Lord, as we, as we go through the rest of these services, Lord God, uh, preaching your word, Lord God, listening to your word. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. So, verse 12, let's find out what happens. He calls him out. He says, you're boasting, you're boasting. And he is overconfident. He's overconfident. Now, why is he overconfident? Well, we're about to read it because he has all the manpower. Ben-a-dad, Benadad has got 32 kings with him. He's got all the men he wants. He's got all the power he wants. He's very overconfident, and he's boasting because he's way overconfident. But anybody who watches sports has seen teams that are very, very good teams go in and get whipped by a team they should have never been whipped by. And that's what you're about to see happen. And it came to pass when Haddad heard this mes- message that he was, and as he was drinking... Oh, you know something bad is going to happen here if he's drinking. He and the kings and the pavilions that he said unto his servants, Set yourselves in array, and they set themselves in array against the city. So he's drinking, he hears this, everybody get ready to go fight. He's knocking down a couple of cold ones, and he tells them that. Verse 13, And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? So this prophet tells Ahab, Hey, you're looking at this, you see all these great people, this great multitude coming? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Amen. So a prophet comes, and this old preacher comes up and says, Hey, Ahab, the Lord told me to tell you, see all these 100,000 people out here? You're going to whip all of them, because I'm the Lord. (laughs) So uh, guess what's happened? Ahab is not on God's side, but Behennadad has made a mistake. He's got on God's bad side. So because Behanadad's got on God's bad side, he's going to go help Ahab. Y'all kind of keep that in mind. If you're a Christian in here, you're on the Lord's side. And if somebody's doing something to you, just pray, Lord, I don't like what they're doing to me. I'm going to let you handle it. That's what we're told to do. Guys, I'm going to tell y'all the truth. There's been things happen in my life, and I've uh, had some people do stuff to me. I think it's wicked as wicked can be. And I, I wanted to go, you know, cut their tires, go beat down their door. You know, there's things you want to do, and the Lord won't let you do it, amen? So what you have to do, is I get on my knees and said, Lord, I know you want me to love them, and I want to forgive them, Lord, but you're going to have to handle this. I can't handle it, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. And I got off my knees and I had a lot of peace. And man, oh man, <laughs> I'm not going to give you any details, because somebody listening might figure it out. It wasn't good what the Lord did. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't have done that. The Lord did. Verse fourteen, and Ahab said, "By whom?" <laughs> and he said, "Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces." Then Ahab, then he said, "Ahab, who shall order the battle?" And he, answered, he answered, "Thou." <laughs> Most of the time, when you see the Lord through a prophet go to a king and say, "Hey, you're going to win this battle," the next verse you'll see that king, "Let's go!" Dun, 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 dun. And they go run off in the battle. Here's O Ahab with, you know, with face faith less than the grain of a mustard seed say who's going to do that Lord well you dummy you're the one you're the one that's going to do it hey don't have faith like Ahab you know when the Lord you get the feeling and you read in the Bible the Lord wants you to do something don't be going well I wonder who's going to do that why don't you you do that when you see, uh, we've had a, 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 a brother, Jimmy, was preaching a funeral for a dear lady that passed away. Well, she's carrying the banner for Jesus Christ. We've had people in this church recently pass away that was carrying the banner for Jesus Christ, and that banner's hit the ground. Don't look around and say, well, who's going to pick up that flag, that banner for Jesus Christ, and carry it? No, you go do it. You run up there, and you pick it up, and you start waving the banner for Jesus Christ. And if somebody better comes along and can do it better, then you hand it off to them. But man, oh man, when the Lord gives you a calling... Don't wait around like Ahab and say, well, who's going to do that? By whom are you going to do that? Look at verse 15. Then he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and they were 232. And after them, he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. So you're going to have about 7,000 going off against 100,000. Look at verse 16. And they went out at noon. but Behinnadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions. He's taking that liquid courage. He sends all his people out to fight, but he's in there getting drunk. He's drinking that liquid courage, getting ready to fight. And he and the kings and the 32 kings that helped him. Verse 17, and the young men of the princes of the provinces went out first. And Behenadad sent out, and they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria. So they say, Here they come. And here comes Ahab. And Behenadad, verse 18, whether, said, Whether they be come out for peace, take them alive, or whether they be come out for war, take them alive. Now that's a lot of confidence. He's saying, hey, just take them alive. I don't care if, they, if, if they're coming out to try to get, bring peace again, if they change their mind, or if they come out to fight, whatever, just take them alive. That's a lot of confidence. Well, don't go like he thinks. So these young men of the princes of the province came out of the city, and the army which followed them, and they slew every one of his men, and the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them, and Behinnadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. So Behinnadad, he escapes this battle, even though all his men are losing their lives. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. Who won that battle? Well, it wasn't Ahab. It was the Lord God. When you're in a battle, you're in the battle with the Lord God. If it's just you and a thousand people against you, you've got the majority. Because you and God make the majority. You always have the Lord on your side. Amen? You always have the Lord. Never forget that. Verse 22, and uh, let's see what happens. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, strengthen thyself, and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. So the the same prophet comes back and says, Hey, Ahab, get ready, because they're not convinced. They're coming back. He's telling him that Behenadad still has faith that he can win this battle. Even after getting whipped like that, Behenadad is still going to have faith that he can win this battle. And the reason why he has faith he can win this battle, because he looks at Ahab, and if you look at the, the, the man Ahab, he was a weenie. Okay, Ahab has his wife Jezebel, she wears the pants in the family. Because he gets this piece of land over there. And he wants to buy this piece of land off Naboth. And he goes over there and he says, hey, can I have your vineyard? And he goes, no, the Lord won't let me have it. So Ahab, he goes, the Bible says he goes, he gets in the bed, he throws his face to the wall, and he pouts. And he gets mad. And Jezebel comes in and says, what's wrong, baby? And he says, well, he won't let me have that piece of land. And I really wanted it really bad. And Jezebel says, well, you're the king. You can have whatever you want. Well, how am I going to get it? And Jezebel says, well, just let me take care of that baby doll, sugar snookums. She goes off and kills a couple of guys, kills that guy. She hires some people to tell some lies, gets that guy killed, and then she comes back and says, hey, it's your land, he's been took care of, he's been killed, get up and go get your land. And Ahab's like, oh, goody, goody, and he runs down to the vineyard, and that's when the great prophet Elijah shows up. Elijah says, hey. You know where the dogs were licking the blood of that guy? That's where he's going to lick your blood, Ahab. And Jezebel's going to be eaten by dogs. That's the prophet Elijah. But you see that story of Ahab, he's a weenie. I mean, you know, behind head of that center are going, look at that guy. He's a weenie. Even the Lord knows he's a weenie. We're going to get victory. And Ahab's like, from who? Where are we going to get victory? From you, moron. Get out there and fight. I'll, I'll do the fighting. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, Ahab is a moron. Verse 23, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Here it goes. Therefore they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Notice, typical people who don't know know nothing about the Lord God Their gods are the gods of the hills. They don't know anything about their gods. Because if they knew anything about their gods, they'll know it wasn't. And it's not a plural gods. It's the one true God, the Lord Jehovah God. But they know nothing about the religion of the Israelites. They just say, well, their gods must be the gods of the hills. And we fought them in the hills. But hey, man, if we get them out in the plains, they won't stand a chance. That's what they're saying here. Verse 24, and do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in the rooms. Get rid of those kings that didn't help you. Put some captains, so people know how to fight. And number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, and chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. See that, say, that word surely in there? That's confidence and boasting. Overconfidence and boasting. Surely we're going to win if we fight them in the plain. Well, here's what happens. Verse 26, it came to pass at the return of the year that Behenadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. Here's the problem. Behinnadad thinks he's fighting against Israel. Is he fighting against Israel? (laughs) No, he's fighting against the Lord God. He's not fighting against Israel. But that's what the world thinks. The world thinks that they're fighting against you, Christian. When Paul was out killing Christians, he's like, I'm going to get rid of these Christians. But you know who struck him down on the road to Damascus? It wasn't Christians. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, struck him down off the horse and says, Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? I didn't know I was hurting you. If you're hurting one of mine, you're hurting me. See, Paul was fighting against Jesus Christ. And the whole time he thought he was fighting against that evil religion, Christianity. And it converted Paul. So Behenadad thinks he's fighting against that moronic king Ahab. Who could, nobody, nobody could lose to Ahab. He's a moron. Let's go fight him again. He doesn't realize, hey, you're not fighting against Israel, buddy. You're fighting against the Lord God. And he is. Verse 27, the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. What the verse is telling you there is they were just like a little bitty group of Israelites, and there's this huge 100,000 or more army out in the field. Way, I mean, just they were way, way outnumbered. But like I told you before, you're never outnumbered when the Lord's on your side. <laughs> Always remember that. Verse 28, And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, But he is not the God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Woo, the Lord didn't like that. He said, see how they think I can't fight in the plains and I'm just a Lord of the hills? I'm going to show them that I'm a Lord of the hills, the Lord of the valley, the Lord of the seas, the Lord of the universe. I am the Lord God. That's the Lord we serve. Where he's the Lord of whatever you're dealing with in your life. Jesus Christ is the Lord, He's called the great physician. He's the Lord of health. You got bad health this morning? You need to be talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of finances. You got some problem with your finances? He's the Lord of finances. This is the guy that when he needed a gold corn told Peter, hey, go do some fishing. And when you get that first fish, look in there, there'll be a gold piece in that fish. That's the Lord you serve. He's the Lord of finances. He's the Lord of health. He's the Lord of marriage problems. The Lord knows what you're going through. He's he's the Lord of emotions. You're serving the Lord of everything you could ever deal with in this world. You need to bow down to Him and talk to Him, the Lord Jesus. And that's what the Lord's saying. Hey, they say I'm not. I'm going to prove to them that I am the Lord of the valleys and the plains. Verse 29, and they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. That's a lot of that's a lot of whipping. <laughs> that's a lot of whipping for a couple of little flocks to be doing. I don't think I bet there was a couple of angels helping them out right there. What do y'all think? I believe so. The Bible says that there's one angel killed a one night. I think they. Uh, one angel so I think the Lord was helping them out. What do you think? Verse 30, But the rest fled to Aphak into the city, and there, and there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. Look, this by chance a wall fell on them. And Behenadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. Now, that's all the time I have to read of that story. But you see, there's two great truths of that. Behenadad thought he was overconfident, he was boasting, and in the end, the Lord humbled him down. Now, go home. I want to give you some homework. Go home and finish reading this chapter. Read this chapter. And then the very next chapter, chapter 21, is that story I was telling you about with the vineyard. Go home and read that. If you don't read your Bible much, go home and read the very end of chapter 20 and chapter 21. And you'll find out how big a moron, brother, how big a moron Ahab was. And you'll come back and say, well, you know what? You are right, Brother Kicking. He was kind of of stupid because he does stupid things. Now, but this morning, in closing, go back to verse 11. All the way back up to verse 11 because I want to point something out. This just popped out at me when I was doing my daily Bible reading. That's why I'm preaching this. Tell him, and the king of Israel answered him and said, now look look at this saying, tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. What came to my mind, what came to my mind there in verse 11 when I was reading that, and the Lord, it just popped in my mind is, it's a harness of life. And as I deal with younger people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I try to talk to younger people, and when I say younger, I'm saying somebody who's younger than me, what I notice is that they, uh, when you're in your youth and you just are putting on your harness of life, you're just putting on your harness of life, you think you can do anything. You think you're Superman. You think you'll never die. And you never think about what the, what, what's coming in later on in life and you, you, I've had them tell me, I don't need Jesus, uh, I'm going to win this, I, I don't need any help from Jesus, what I, I got this, I don't need no religion, I don't need your religion. But what I noticed, though, what I also noticed, though, young people that are just now putting on their harness in life, that's the way they act, but when I talk to older people who are about to take this harness off at the end of their life, they're not so boastful, they're not so overconfident. You know what I know about being old age? Because I can say this because I'm getting into old age. Old age will humble you. You know what we like to talk about before church starts? Our health. Did you go to that? What are you know, I'm going to die. They gave you this. I, gave shot. Yeah, I got that shot. You only get this shot? Yeah, I'm going to go get that shot. I never talked about, more about It's just the most amazing. And then we'll talk about Jesus and after church, we'll get to talking about doctors and shots and medicine and everything else. It's the most ridiculous. It's old age. Our body's falling apart. We're about to take this harness off. And you know what I found out about people? They're not so boastful. They're not so confident that they're going to win this. And what I know is, is that in the end, when we all, in the, all of us, no matter who's in this room, believer or not, in the end, is going to have to take off this harness of life. And there's something on the other side. Now, what is that? What is that when we take that last breath? What is that that's on the other side? Now, believers and non-believers, both sides of this coin, believers, which I'm a believer, and non-believers do two of the same thing. They both do the same thing. And that's simply this. They, by faith, take off their harness. What I mean by that is, by faith, they say, I think, by faith, I know what's on the other side. Now, you know what I think's on the other side, amen? It's Jesus Christ waiting for me. I got heaven waiting for me. But not everybody believes like I do because I can't see it with my eyes. I can't say I physically have seen heaven. I physically have seen somebody's soul go up into heaven. I can't say I physically have seen somebody's soul in heaven looking down from heaven to me. I can't say I've ever seen that. But neither can a non-believer ever say they've seen what's on the other side. And they're doing that by faith. Now, I've met people and talked to people that they have the faith that once they die, and I've heard them say this to my face, hey, once I die, it's nothing. It's just nothingness. We all, it's just nothing. That's it. That's life. That's it. There's nothing. And I've had some people tell me there's a bright light. And when you get to the bright light, everything's going to be good. Don't matter how you act in this life, good, bad, or indifferent, once you get through that bright light, everything's going to work out. Well, I can tell you what this Bible says. And this Bible says that when you take your last breath and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your soul will go up into heaven. It's a physical place and it's above our heads, and that Jesus Christ will be there, and he'll have a mansion waiting for you. Now, if you're a non-believer, this Bible says if you're a non-believer and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you'll go down to a place that's beneath our feet. It's a literal place, and it's called hell. And that's what I believe. Now, that's what I have faith in. Now, it's a free country. Everybody can have faith in what they want to have faith in, but let me tell you something. You might ask, and I know this morning in Sunday school we were talking about this, you might ask, why do you have that kind of faith, Brother King? If you've never seen it, why do you believe it? Well, because I've got the only Savior that took his harness off and then put his harness back on. I'm the only one that's got that Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Muhammad, he died and he stayed dead. Buddha He took his harness off, and he died, and he stayed dead. Jesus Christ is the only one that came forth and resurrected. That's where I put my confidence. That's where I put my boasting in. Because I got a Savior that died and took his harness off, and he put it back on. And says, you know what, I'm going to give you a harness that will last forever. It's called eternal life. We boast and we're confident because we have Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Amen. So, I wanted this morning in closing, because I got a few minutes in closing, I want to read you the last words. Right before atheists, right before atheists are going to take off this harness of life, this is what they had to say. And I've got a hundred of these, but I'm only going to read a couple of them to you. Charles IX, King Charles IX, he killed about a well, thousands and thousands of Christians on his, on his deathbed right before he died, he said, What blood, what murders, I know not where I am. How will all this end? What shall I do? I am lost forever, I know it. That doesn't bring a lot of confidence. Altmont the infidel, the infidel, his name was Altamont. He said, Oh, that blaspheme yet most indulgent Lord, hell is a refuge if it hides me from thy frown. That's his last words as he died. Huxley, he was an agnostic professor. Great, he, had, he, he always fought against Christians. They, uh, his nurse, when she watched him laying on his deathbed, she said he stared up and he was staring at something. She kept looking at her, She couldn't see what he was staring at. And he kept staring up. And then his, she said his eyes grew wide. And he said, it is true. And then he died. Sir Francis Newport, one of the f- most famous atheists of the turn of the century, last turn of the century, Sir Francis Newport, he started a club called the Infidel Club, just heathens just what we call Satanists today he started the club, but when he lay on his di- dying deathbed, he was laying on his deathbed and his fellow club members came into the room and they were all standing around they're like, everything's going to be okay everything's going to be okay, you know what guys it's not going to be okay you're going to die, right but people can you, you, people have told you lies like that, haven't they to you, Like everything's going to be okay. And you're like, no, everything's not going to be okay. I can't pay my rent. I can't pay my house payment. I've lost my job. Don't, don't lie to me. No, everything's not going to be okay. It's going to be tough. And they come into his room and they're telling him this. And this is what he said. You need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one. He preached his whole life that there was no God. And on his deathbed, he says, you don't need to tell me there's no God, for I know there is one, and that I am in his angry presence. You do not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Now that's a man that in faith has taken off his harness, but he knows and feels what's about to happen. Voltaire, one of the most famous, famous heathens, atheists, he... He mocked Christianity, mocked the Bible, said, it, said Christianity in the Bible would be done away with in a hundred years. He made fun of the Bible. This is what he said on his deathbed to his doctor. I'm abandoned by God and man. I'm abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you'll give me six months to live. The doctor said, sir, I can't give you six weeks. And Voltaire replied, then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. Is that how you want to take your last breath? Man, that's tough. So I'm going to leave you some good stuff. I'm not going to to end with the bad stuff. I'm going to leave you with some good stuff. I'm going to leave you the the last words of dying saints, people who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're about to take off their harness, and and what are they going to do? They're going to be confident, and they're going to be boasting. John Wesley said, The best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. Charles Wesley said, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Thy likeness. Satisfied. Satisfied. And the story of that is, and I don't have time, but when he was reading that, when he was saying that, they said that he kept saying, satisfied. And they got down by his his mouth and he was whispering something. And they got down there and he was saying, satisfied. Satisfied. Are you seeing a difference? Baxter, great man of God, said, I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. Goodwin, another great man of God, said, Oh, is this dying? How have I dreaded as an enemy, this smiling friend? Everett, the last 25 minutes he was alive, kept repeating, Glory, glory, glory. Sir Michael Faraday was dying, and a journalist showed up at his deathbed and questioned him about the speculations he has about life after death. He said, What do you think about life after death? And Faraday's answer to him was, Speculations? I know nothing about speculations. I am resting on certainties. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because he lives, I shall live also. What a testimony, man. This old, back in the late 1800s, old lady living in a poorhouse, she was dying in the poorhouse, and a doctor came in, and the doctor bent over, and the doctor heard her saying, praise the Lord. And that bothered the doctor, and the doctor said, how can you praise God when you're dying in a poorhouse? You know what her answer to that was? Oh, doctor, it's so wonderful to go from a poor house to a mansion in the skies. <laughs> see us poor Christians, we're just so dumb enough we believe that. You know, some of us had not had much money in our life, and we get to the end of our life like, well, at least I'm going to get a mansion up in heaven. My wife, me and my, my wife and I were so moronic. We'll be driving down the road, and we'll see a big old one of these big old mansions that you know, you know, they moved from California. There are big old mansions sitting out here. They just built it up. And we'll talk about, man, I hope our mansion's bigger than that when we get up into heaven. We talk like that. <laughs> Say, well, you're silly. I might be silly. And maybe I'm overconfident. Maybe I'm boasting. But I got Jesus Christ, and that's what he does to me. Amen. He makes me overconfident. He makes me boast. He's somebody to boast on. Uh, the uh, Pastor bon, bon, uh, Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor over in Germany in World War II. They were they come to take him out of the cell to go hang him. And when they were taking him out of the cell, the other prisoners were there. And when they were taking him out of the cell, they said he turned and he said, For me, this is the beginning of a new life, eternal life. And they ran out, went out, and hung him. He said, Don't worry about me, I got new life. I got eternal life. Of course, y'all know how much I love Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was. Famous for saying, if you've ever been to any of my funerals, I quote this, almost every funeral I ever preached. Dwight L. Moody was famous of saying that when there's going to be a day you're going to see the name Dwight L. Moody in the newspaper and it's going to say, Dwight L. Moody is, is died. Don't believe a word of it because at that time I'll be more alive than I ever was. <laughs> Praise God. But on Dwight L. Moody's deathbed, Dwight L. Moody's deathbed, this is what he was recorded as saying. He woke up at the very end and he said, Earth recedes, Heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. And his son was there, and his son said, Father, now you're just dreaming. And this is what was recorded when he told his father that he was dreaming. Dwight Moody said, No, I'm not dreaming. I've been within the gates. I have seen the children's faces. A short time elapsed, and then following what seemed to the family to be the death struggle... He spoke again saying, this is my triumph, this is my coronation day, it is glorious. Say, well, pastor, that's just some old people you read about in a book you never met. Well, let me give you a couple stories of people I have met. I, man, it's hard, some of the stuff I kind of get emotional about. But when... Uh, Ricky Dodd's mom and dad were still alive. I'd go visit Ricky Dodd. Now, Ricky Dodd's the one that's in the nurse coming in that's in a wheelchair that when we go singing, he's there, and I'm, you always see me over there talking to him. His mom and dad alive. His mom, his, his family had a, had a bad, bad upcoming, but his dad was a preacher, but his mom told me the story. She told it to me multiple times that their daughter, 11-year-old daughter, was dying with leukemia, and she, was, she had her in the bathtub. And she said, I had her in the bathtub, and there's blood everywhere coming out. I was trying to just keep her, just trying to give her some comfort before she passed because she was getting about that time. And he said that whenever, she said that whenever she was giving her that bath at the last, that she said, Mama, Mama, come in here. And she had left the room and she come and run back in there. She said, What's wrong, daughter? What's wrong? She said, Her daughter was looking out and she says, Don't you see them? Don't you see them? And she says, Honey, I don't, what do you see? And she said, Don't you see the angels? And she said, I went back in the other room and I called old Clyde Dodd and said, Hey, uh," I see he's she said, Clyde said, She's she's in the bathtub, she's she's saying she's seeing angels. And he said, I'll be right home. He was at work, and by the time he got home, she passed away. She's seen it coming, she didn't, she died with pain, but she's seen it coming, brothers and sisters. We got the right God. In Jesus Christ. We got the right God in Jesus Christ. When, uh, I'm, I, I, I'll give you another one. Some of the families here, but whenever he was passing away, uh, he was on his death. He was 18 years old. He was on his deathbed, and I was talking to him. This 18 year old had more courage than most men in this room I know, of, at least more courage than me. He was passing away. He was 18 years old, and he, he, we got sitting on his deathbed. He knew he was about to pass away, and he said, Show me the Bible, show me heaven. Show me heaven out of the Bible. And I showed him verses about heaven in the Bible. And he says, I said, well, how you feeling, uh, Trevor? And he said, you know, I, I'm feeling good. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready. He said, I'm ready. He said, I'm just worried about leaving my friends behind. That's a young man about to take his harness off. And he's worried about his friends he's leaving behind. I, it, it shook me. The next time I seen his mom, he couldn't talk. And he was about to pass away. And she said, well, he woke up and he said, I know I'm about to go. And she said, why do you say that, Trevor? He goes, because I keep seeing beautiful women. (laughs) And he went on to be with the Lord. He went on to be with the Lord. Now, maybe I'm boasting. Maybe you'll say this pastor's overconfident. But I know when I take my last breath, I know who's got me. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the resurrected Savior. And I know one thing, too, that when he takes me, he's not just taking me to put me in some room off by myself like I deserve. He's going to take me, and I'm going to get to be with all my families went on before me. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Ain't nothing that they did. Ain't nothing I did. It's because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And he was willing, in his grace and mercy, this old wicked sinner to say, I'll save you. And it's there for you this morning if you don't know Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you for a place called heaven. And Lord, I pray, Father, to give this invitation. If there's somebody out there that doesn't know Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray you speak to the heart of truth. Lord, and they come on down here and get saved. Lord, it's real simple. They believe in your death and burial and resurrection, Lord God. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at indiangapbaptist.com.